Tansi, Oki. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ancestral Science. We are a group of Indigenous scientists, artists, and educators eager to reconnect, explore, and share the depth of scientific knowledges within Indigenous stories and bring together global and Indigenous sciences for sustainability and relationality. My name is Corey. My mother's ancestors are Cree and Métis from Big Prairie up in northern Alberta. My father's ancestors are Polish-Ukrainian. Uh, my mixed heritage is reflected in my ongoing exploration of relational science through multiple experiences, senses, and worldviews. Each episode has unique Indigenous science merch, so see the show notes to check that out. And that small monthly fee goes towards honoraria for elders and keeping this podcast going. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and get notified of all of the newest episodes. It was a sunny spring day here on the traditional home of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Sutina Nation, and the Ithaca Nakoda First Nations, and more recently, the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. And I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Juan Carlos Chavez from the Yaqui peoples of the Sonoran Desert, speaking from Seattle, Washington, a place named after Chief Seattle and the traditional lands of the Duwamish. As always, we began with the question, what is science to you? Which led to a conversation about the elements as relationships, navigating by stars, sticks, the corner bush, and even whistle frequencies, the significance of the teachings of spirit, the harms of renaming modern maps, exploration, and even the harms of the white picket fence, melting icebergs and viruses, and even thinking about what is our place in the universe. So without further ado, Dr. Juan Carlos Chavez. Juan Carlos, how are you? I am really well. As we say, which basically is a Yaki greeting that you make well, and that's from our uh, people's of the areas where I grew up in, in the Sonoran Desert, but it's a uh, U.S.-Mexican desert area now. So. Well, it's always lovely to chat with you. I was going to say we have an interesting story of how we met um, in the dark for <laughs> many days <laughs> 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 right? at, at Wilford Buck's TPs and Telescopes several years ago, and I thought that was a cool way to meet. I remember having many conversations with you in the pitch black, as I did with many people and recognize her voices later. But um, that's where we went. And then another iteration of TPs and telescopes at Kananaskis here in Treaty 7 Lands in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So I show up to this place and there's this, this tiny, small woman with like these braids or, or like curls. And she's running around and I'm looking, I'm like, I think she's in charge, but I can't really tell. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, are you, um, do you know if there's a TPs and telescopes? You're like, oh my God, yes, this is TPs and telescopes. Oh yes, uh, uh, it's your name. And then you're trying to guess my name for some odd reason. You never met me before. So I'm like, well, my last name is Chavez and you know, uh, people call me Carlos or Carlos. And, but I, yes, yes, I know who you are. I know who you are. But we don't have a cabin. I'm sorry, we don't have a cabin for you. And I was like, hmm. I forgot. <laughs> let's see, we just got here from the, from Washington State. Alvin just came from Boston, Massachusetts. You just drove how many hours? Uh, we drove about uh, yeah, 14 hours or whatever it was. And that we, there's nowhere for us to stay. 
So this tiny little person is like, oh my God, freaking out. And then suddenly a cluster of other people show up. And then I just see fingers pointing left and right. And then I just hear, or okay, magic clipboards out trying to figure things out. Yeah, you know, it's like, I found a place for you. You're going to go to this area, but that's temporary, only for tonight. And tomorrow we're going to move you. And I'm hearing all these instructions and I'm thinking to myself, how much stress is this person under? Oh my goodness. Okay. So I'm like, no problem. So we pack up our stuff and we walk to this cabin. We get in there. And for some reason, because I grew up so poor, I'm terrified of mice and rodents. So we go in there. And we're laying our stuff out, and then there's, you know, uh, uh, you know, NASA scientist that was there with us, you know, Liz McDonald, there was Alvin Harvey, a PhD uh, candidate at MIT, and then myself, just the, you know, run-of-the-mill old geezer showing up here. And then we go into this thing, and then the, as soon as we get in, we, we put our stuff away, and then we're dividing up things to be respectful and all that. And then we go to this little tiny, like, kitchen, and we're sitting there, and out of my corner, I see something move really fast. And I know what that movement is. That's typically mice. So I was like, I think I just saw a mouse. And then everybody's looking at me like, I didn't see anything. And then I ran it the other way. And they're like, no, I didn't see that. I was like, did you not see that there's a mouse running the other way? So now I'm terrified and horrified. And everybody's sitting there. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> so anyway, set this up really well. This is how we ended up meeting each other. I was like, she just put me in a cabin with a mouse. and She doesn't know I'm terrified of mice. So yep. it's not like it was a bad thing. I'm just telling you because it was such a great way to meet somebody. Like, wow, they didn't know they didn't have a place for me. And then they put me in a place with a mouse so I could learn how to be better with mice. So that's my story. That's my introduction to Corey. I didn't even think I, I don't think I heard your name. <laughs> It was um, it was a, a challenging few days, but it was fantastic at the same time. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. You know, I, I you just know, have to uh, roll with things. I just was so excited to see somebody work so hard. It just it's I really appreciated your efforts. Thank you for taking care of us. And I tell this in a joke way because it was funny. It wasn't like you know hurt. It was just it was just so funny to meet you that way with so much energy. So. I've been impressed with you since. I was like, wow, she's like a, I don't know, like a battery that never runs out of of fuel. (laughs) Until the day that happens. I don't know. We're going to keep going. (laughs) It's it's always lovely chatting with you and I always learn something and I'm always humbled uh, every time we have a conversation. So I'm grateful, grateful that we get to have this conversation today. Um, And I thought we could start out with the question, what is science to you? Let's see. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, in our traditions, from, from the Southwest, as I mentioned, and in the desert, we have basically energy forces that bring us into who we are. So it could be the wind, it could be the sun, rays, the heat, it could be the sand. So all of these different elements create essentially our relationships. They they tell us how to live. They they show us how to express ourselves. They provide us with insight that no one using words could ever offer us. So the way that at least my grandfather raised me was to listen closely and sense all things from where I grew up. And all of those sensations, all of those vibrations 
all of those energetic forces, magnetic uh, pools and such, um, represent, you know, science to us in, in that it is the ultimate form of science. Because in the English language, or, you know, it's been amalgamated to, to, to think about physics, right? And physics is this fancy word for nature. So we just call it nature and being yeah. one with nature, being one with the elements. Yeah. So that's what science is to me. It's not a hypothesis testing, null hypothesis, alternate. That's great. And that's beautiful. And it's wonderful for its context. For us, it is a relationship with all elements that offers us the opportunity to learn, which is no different than hypothesis testing. We get uh-huh. taught, we get told. So that's the science uh, from my upbringing and from my experience. I like that. I like the openness of saying science is relationships. It's not just an idea or something that's physical, but it's you know being in relationship with an idea, with an animal, with a plant, with an energy, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that's what indigenous science is. It has that openness of explanation and relationality. Right. Mm-hmm. Relationality. Relationality. Um, so I asked previously what you wanted to talk about today. And I know we've had conversations about maps and navigation and whatnot on and off. And love to dig a little bit deeper into your thoughts on you know the science of maps and navigation and wayfinding and all of that cool stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that's a... It's an interesting topic in that it can be controversial um, and it can be enlightening and everything in between the two and beyond. And uh, I say that not tongue-in-cheek, but but it's a reality. Uh, now, our people, we didn't have borders in Tur- on Turk Island. When Westerners came, Europeans came, they determined lines um, based on their desire for natural resources that created wealth. And those lines exist today, and they exist in a political way. But politics, as, as some people would say, you know, is based on resource management and assuring that there's enough wealth, uh, you know, and on and on. There are different, you know, there's so many different thinkings. But, you know, when we think about our ancestors and the way that they connected to land, it wasn't a possession of land. Yet we protected certain areas because they were sacred to us. And that protection didn't mean war all the time. It just meant we protected for its sacredness so it doesn't get destroyed, so also so that it can be honored. Um, so that's why some conflicts happen. But, you know, we had our ways. You know, we would set fires. You know, now, you know, on cartoons and such, people do like a a smoke signal, right? But it was actually fires. And we sent fires for demarcation lines so that people knew we were there. Not to say stay away. It's like, hey, I'm just letting you know we are here. Hmm. And it's how we protected our people. We just didn't take blankets and just, you know, create a Morse code, you know, that uh, Europeans came to, right? So, um, So I share those components because wayfinding, traveling, all of that stuff is based on journey. And journey is what we in the Southwest, many of us, I shouldn't say I don't speak for all people or all Native people. Heck, I don't even speak for all of my family. 
I just speak from my experience. That what I've experienced is that we journey based on our needs for either ceremonial medicines, food, uh, you know, a spouse, uh, animals. So these journeys were really for our survival, for our connection to all things. And those journeys included things that were sort of spiritual in nature, spiritual with nature and in nature. So we went into those places of opening our senses to new learnings. Um, that's part of the growth that our people had, is to learn our ways within context of where we are, but also a journey to understand the other teachings, to know the other teachings. It wasn't to explore. You know how nowadays uh, you see commercials of people, I'm going to explore. It's like, no, you're not exploring anything. That's somebody's land already. They already did that. So you're not exploring anything. You're just a guest or you're an unwelcome guest. So there is no nowhere. You know, some people would say, oh, in the middle of nowhere. No, everywhere is somewhere to somebody. Mm -hmm. So there is no middle of nowhere. And so that those terms, that language comes from traditionally Europeans who have, you know, traveled like that and said, oh, that's the middle of nowhere. Well, maybe it would be better if they said, that's the middle of nowhere to me, instead of contextualizing it for the whole universe, right? Mm -hmm. And this is very important because we are traveling to outer space. Artemis too, right? Back to the moon and the, the sense of exploration. We go and all kinds of stuff. It's like, well, let's step back a little bit and ask permission. Let's find out who's there already and see if they even want us there. So anyway, I feel like I'm going on, but that's that's kind of what I wanted to share with you about wayfinding journey, travel, maps, you know, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, it's interesting that the idea of ex- exploring or discovering even the somewhere where it's unknown to you, but is very known and people already have relationships with those lands, with those plants, medicines, animals and whatnot. Yeah, I think it can be um, troubling, controversial, uh, the, the idea of navigation and, and maps. And something that I've thought about a lot with this topic is um, with, with naming and maps and, you know, how so many names have been changed and, and the, the effects of that. You know, when you, when you look at a map, Let's be honest, it's, it's going to be in a certain language. That's probably not the language of the people that have been living, thriving there for thousands of years. And that's harmful. And it's harmful that, that you know, people don't know the, those original names of those lands. I, I see it in pockets around here. There's been some, you know, rematriation or repatriation, however you want to say, have uh, different names and different locations. But yeah, it's 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 a slow process and something that I think not a lot of people really think about when they drive down the road and they see different signs or look on their Google Maps on different names of rivers and mountains and whatnot. You're right. Yeah. And you know, and, and also in regard to that, um, the naming conventions and the nomenclature that was created by the Europeans, it's 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 not a relationship that we have. So 
you know, like uncles and aunts was, you know, if you ask them for directions, what will they say, right? You're probably familiar with like, hey, you want to go next to that tree that's broken down? Take a left on the rock and then go on the dirt trail. And then after you finish up the dirt trail, you're going to see some water. Okay, when you see the water, you're going to take a left. And that's where our location is. Mm-hmm. That drives Westerners nuts. It's like, well, wait, there's no street number. There's no name. There's nothing. It's like because we have a relationship with the land. Mm-hmm. We know with that broken tree, that rock. We know with that dirt trail, those side of water. We understand that because we sense it. We don't need to learn it in those kinds of ways because we don't look at Mother Earth like that. It's kind of like if I went to a pregnant woman and just said, hey, let me draw out a bunch of squares on your belly and say, this is where that location is. And that's where that location is. And that's where that location is. It's like, well, isn't it a whole globe? Like, isn't the big inside of there? I mean, maybe this is a controversial topic, but in some of our communities, we think of Mother Earth as the belly. Mm-hmm. That's and a beautiful uh, why, way to think about it. Right? Why would yeah. we do that? Why yeah. would we market like that? That yeah. was never the intent. You know, um, people say, oh, I want a home with a white picket fence. I mean, imagine that for us. There's literally these spiky white fences we can go through because you decided that you own it based on your politics and war. And we own it. We extract. We pay taxes. So this is mine. You know, screw around and not pay taxes for your property taxes. See if it's really yours. It's not. It belongs to the government yeah. because the government has a vested interest. So these these naming things, these numbers, these ways of being is a way to eradicate our relationship with Mother Earth. To say, Mom, I'm going to section you off and I'm going to create little dots and then I'm going to say this is where I belong and I don't belong here. And then you're going to put up a fence and then I won't be able to go say hello to you because I have to knock because it's inappropriate for me just to show up because Westerners said that's inappropriate. So I have to adhere to those. Rules. So those are some thinkings for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the politics and the, the, the idea of fences and borders to keep out, right? To keep, what are they, what, what are you keeping out? Can I think about, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of welcoming in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about maps and I spent some time in, in Hawaii um, and, you know, learned there's a, the Polynesian navigation, those teachings are just blow your mind. I remember one of the captains of the Hokulea was like, oh, let me show you all the math that we do. Um, and, you know, I know, and I don't have to explain it, like the amount of trig that is done in your head as you're navigating without any uh, technology in the sense of modern technology, but only with you know, your senses, understanding the zenith, understanding the horizon, like feeling, like as you were mentioning before, really using your senses in every which way to understand, you know, the different waves and, and how those interact with different islands around you. And it's very experiential. And I remember just blackboard after blackboard of all of these equations. And I just, I lost track after that. And I'm just like, you know, thank you. Thank you for proving that to me. I didn't need, I didn't need the explanation, but you think of, you know, people are so smart. The amount of math and science in, like, you don't think of in navigating anywhere, uh, never mind down the seas. Um, it's, it's about, it's about relationality. And you can't put that on a map. You can't put 
on a map, how do you feel when there's an island on, uh, there's an island over there? And how do you feel when, you know, there, there's a certain bird that's, that's migrating over your head and, and knowing how to use that to, uh, to get to your destination is, is phenomenal. I think it's really interesting. Right. Um, do you want a break? There's nine minutes left. I have. Can I can I show a really cool picture? Yes. So I I so I, as I mentioned, I was doing some work um, in 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 Hawaii, and there's this really interesting this you know map. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. Have you seen one of these? Mm-mm. No. So it's a it's a stick map. And each of the the circles, they're shells, and those represent an island and how all of the mm-hmm. the waves and how they interact. And this is, you know, you mm-hmm. use this to to relate to and understand the relationships around you. And how do you, you know, again, using those senses, the feeling of the different waves and how they would react to other waves, interfere mm-hmm. with other waves around you. Uh, so I always thought those were really interesting way to you know yes everything you know you have those senses and that way of knowing from experience from from even spirit uh but having something that you can reference and see as well i think is also interesting navigation in the desert is the stars so you look at the stars and you look for a polaris uh, from where the north star and now, from there, you can pick out uh, different constellations based on traditional knowledge and tellings. And those tellings um, are actually mathematical in that they teach you where to look at the night sky, you know, specifically. Mm-hmm. So that's why our tellings are so protected, because it's sacred knowledge that only our people are given. And it was to protect our medicines, and also to protect our burial grounds. So we would go through a process of misinformation before it became popular. We created other maps, we created other things that we gave, you know, non-Indigenous people say, here's where this is or something, and we just throw them off track. Um, so there's that too. There's creating, Absolutely. you know, one to preserve and another one to make sure that people don't go and eat our medicines and, uh, or, you know, um, bother our graves or, or ceremonial grounds or sacred places. So this is a... Uh, that's what maps are helpful for too, is it helped us protect some areas. And there are some areas that are sacred there to this day are not on a map. It just looks like, as Westerners say, the middle of nowhere. But those tend to be take a left places. at the bush. And the- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the rock. Yeah, yeah by that rock. <laughs> right? There's a couple of rocks it's, here. Take a left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Salamanderness. Yeah, Salamanderness, <laughs> you know. You know. And, yeah. you know, and it gets so sophisticated that, you know, if it's really a critical place, we know the colors of those rocks or the vibrations of those rocks, mm-hmm. the sounds they make. Um, so, you know, these are really important sacred stories and stories in that they're tellings, not stories as they're just make-believe they're, mm-hmm. or mystical or the stoic Indian with the pipe and the feather. This is real science, real math. And, mm-hmm. you know... They borrowed that stuff from us. They, in Westerners, the electromagnetic spectrum, we knew about that way before they showed up. We understood, you know, how these waves in vibrations and harmonics work because we knew how to whistle. 
you go to any Indian country, any First Nations, we have whistles, we have sounds uh, that we mimic. Uh, and those sounds are important because they're calling to or from a certain area. And the bounce back, like sonar, we understood sonar. So if we whistled and the sound had a certain vibration, we knew there were going to be hills at night. Like, oh, we're getting close to some hills because it changes because of the shortened waves, right? So anyway, all of these are ways that we were able to um, connect that other people are, when they're not close, when their minds look at a map and they look at a protractor or a compass and that's a fact and that's the only way, then they miss out on the richness of our ancestors' way of navigating and knowing Mother Earth. We didn't section her off. We wanted to be part of it. So it's a, it's a way that we live, is that relationship that, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maps really should be that, you know, they can't be static. They should, I mean, they're okay. There's a, the map that's static, but also, you know, that relationality of knowing where you are in relation to the stars, in relation to your surroundings, whatever that may be, and, you know, where you are navigating too. So really, it really should be extremely relational and extremely subjective which mm-hmm. science doesn't really like sometimes. Yeah, that word is interesting, isn't it? Subjective instead of quantitative. Quantitative methodologies, it sounds so impressive and important. You speak with a scientist and they're going to use those types of words, you know, ANOVA testing, you know, two-tail. And sound impressive. All of these words are used as a nomenclature, as a code to keep us away from doing our things and acknowledging what we've done. I know that there are some changes that things are happening, but those those words they confuse us. They cause a lot of pain and stress. And you know, when we have these multiple choice tests, it's like they're teaching us to be binary and to it's solely quantitative based on their quantitative methodologies. So we lose affinity to our ways of sensing. And it isn't that they're against each other; it's that they corroborate, they collaborate. The two are not mutually exclusive. They're actually inclusive mm-hmm. because when you bring them together, you're able to have more sophistication. But there has been this determination that there's one way to do science and math and engineering, which is a Western way. That is it. That is the right way. Look, the bridges have held up. This has happened. We've done this. We've industrial revolution. But our industrial revolution doesn't look like theirs. We've had industrial revolutions. They just don't look. You know, we created the fishing weir, the fish trap. We, you know, people know about this, you know, traps for birds and animals. This is all sophisticated aerodynamics, biomechanics. Um, you know, all of these things are connected. So that's, that's kind of what I see in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's that harm that saying there's only one way of doing science, you know, I think is quite significant that saying that, you know, understanding and knowing through your senses, through spirit, through, like you said, the vibrations and waves, I mean, it's significant. We know that that happens all the time. We, we both have experienced that, but yeah, if it's not written down, publishable, you know, static, therefore, and it has, there's not multiple three, four or five syllable words, then it's not as sciencey. And that's, that's yeah. unfortunate because there's so much that of depth and within those tellings, right? Within that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's intriguing because it also confuses Westerners. Now they're using the Greek language and they get confused too. So it's like, why? what's the point of that? It's like, why use the word calculus? It doesn't make any sense as much as marbles, you know? I mean, that's, it's, just, it's just made to sound impressive. And that's what science has been for so long. And, and breaking down that code that keeps us away from it will help us bring more of our innovation in, in collaboration and next to or or in you know, but until that really until we have these hard conversations about these things like they call maps and what those do to eradicate our way of navigating, I'm willing to continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and they're not gonna learn from our ways and we're gonna learn their ways. Yeah. But um, our traditional knowledge continues to go dormant because we send our kids to these Western institutions where they learn what a longitude, latitude, what a continent is, you know, what an azimuth is, you know, 360 degrees and all of this stuff. We just call it a They're like, no, that's 360 because then you can calculate, uh, you know, an angle and da 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 da. I was like, well, why not just look at that tree and say it's to my right? You know, no, it has to be right at the perfect number at this degree. It's like, well, it's just to my right, you know? So, I understand that, you know, the uh, the Western traditions would hear that and feel, you know, that's not appropriate. But maybe I felt that way my whole time. They're not appropriate, too. So we got to come together as that point. Okay. So talking about the harm of, of maps and, you know, modern maps in that sense. I've heard different stories about the harm we were talking about, changing names and, you know, the static um, borders and political borders and whatnot. I, I did hear recently that... There are different places that uh, Google has been actually pinpointing like sacred sites on maps. It's been quite harmful with like sacred waters or or sacred hunting grounds or medicine locations. And it makes me feel weird to think about that, right? And just it becomes like almost a extraction of knowledge and extraction of really someone's culture and, and lifestyle and you have any thoughts on that? It makes me feel uncomfortable. So, but I think it's about you know, it's like like you said, there's knowledge that we shouldn't know that shouldn't be shared, and or that you know, maps that are locations that you know are BS on purpose so that to protect it, right, for people that you know don't get it or don't have the rights or mm-hmm. uh, not be in relationship or don't want relationship at that site, right? Right. Yeah, I you know with that being it's. Uh, I mentioned uh, just prior that when people think of maps, they have a, in general, a, a kind of a, a, an image of what that looks like or, or what it is. And uh, maps, you know, like these companies that are putting pin drops on certain areas, um, they're doing so because there is this excitement about indigenous ways of knowing and this, this, um, you know, almost like a, a yearning to belong. You know, these Westerners came from Europe. They're not from here. Um, and as much as they would like to argue this belongs to them, it doesn't. It doesn't belong to anybody. So it, there's an interesting thinking. Um, and, it, you know, there's there are elders, there are wisdom holders, there are old people, there are holy people, there are all kinds of people that will share different things. So I will speak only from my experience and from what I've been guided to by a great spirit in my own, you know, good words, 
or what people call prayers, uh, in my own um, offerings, which some people call meditation, and so forth. So for me, in my experience, and for some of the, the communities I serve, all places have a sacred knowledge. They hold knowledge. It's all connected because they all share this beautiful energy. And there are places that have a certain calling to them. They have a certain ceremony that happens there. That ceremony doesn't necessarily determine that place to be the only place. It's one place of many that we offer medicines to. So there's the, there's the, you know, there's some people that get, you know, concerned about that. They start thinking, oh, and in that case, everything's sacred. So, so what's the purpose of sacredness and on and on. And then there's some others that would say, well, that makes sense because it is all sacred. It is all important. It is all inclusive and everything in between. So my, like I was just sharing here, I do from what I've seen and what I've experienced, there are areas where certain ceremonies were conducted. That's what you know, brings that sense of that place being important. There are other places where maybe that type of ceremony didn't happen, but it's also important because we either journeyed there, we traveled there, and we actually don't know what happened. We, we will never know, probably. Yeah. So every every step we take, we really know. And I'm going to share this. Like I live in uh, proximity to the Mokoshu peoples, which are essentially descendants and are Duwamish people, the people of Seattle city and chiefs, you know, um, Seattle. So in this area where I live, it used to be nothing but uh, traverse through canoes. It was all water, swampy water. Mm-hmm. And now there are homes. And so what they did is they mounded dirt and then put homes on top of those mounds and filled the rest with dirt. Because why? Because people like me needed somewhere to live that looked like a home, so I'm acceptable. You know, uh, people say, well, you can't live in a teepee anymore. Okay, then that's one way to think about it. But now look at what's happened, the impact. This was sacred land or waters or and waters or waterfowl that probably don't even exist anymore. And we probably will never know what was here. We don't know who passed here, who was buried here. We have no idea. So, in that sense, this is a sacred area because I don't know. Maybe it was an area where people suffered. Maybe it was an area where things that were important to people were found. But I also know that here, and I'm in Washington State, there's Mount Tacoma, which is Mountain or Mount Rainier. People call it that in the English language. And that's our, basically where our watershed is for drinking water. So when we look outside, we can see this beautiful, huge volcano and, you know, with all this ice on it looks like a big, you know, ice cream cone. And it was like, wow, that's our water. So that is a very sacred place that I go to because it offers drinking water. So I'm not trying to convolute by saying this or that. I'm saying it's all relational, just like you said about science, because the water that flowed here, guess where it came from? It came from Maui near. Mm-hmm. But now that now the humans decided, well, we want to go somewhere. Let's fill this up put mounds and put homes on top because we need to collect property taxes and people want to own something and pass on their, you know, uh, their children, some resource in some place. Let's do that for them. And so now this area is gone. We don't know what was here. We don't know who suffered here. We don't know who succeeded. We don't know what marriages, what ceremonies took place here. 
But yet, when I look outside, there's this mountain, this volcano full of ice, and that's what offers me drinking water. So I hope that contextually people can see that everywhere they step is an important place. And there are places where certain ceremonies and certain processes or systems or things or minerals, whatever the word is, that it comes from there. So that gives it a, a different type of sacredness. So that's that, that's the inner relationship of all things, not you know reducing something down to that's not that important. That's more important. It's actually all important. Yeah, and those stories that are you know that we that have been lost, you know maybe through you know I think of um, I was going to say the stories of the land that have been lost. You don't know you know what has happened with the land, um, the, the spirit that is under your feet. Um, I think of. Now, I, I don't have the race to tell these stories, and I won't, but I will say that there's a lot of place names in this area that have very colonial stories, a lot of them in connection with uh, the Indigenous people here, and a lot of them are quite harmful, and it's interesting to hear kind of the other side of the story, like the Indigenous side, where, yeah, this is, some of them are, it's like the same happening, but from two different lenses, but which one do you think everybody knows about? Really, the mm-hmm. the western side, right? Um, right. And right. it also makes me think of when you're saying about you know sacred water and, and places that um, have you know those elements that are sacred to life. I think of um, places where you know medicines are being over harvested, like sage, and mm-hmm. not just uh, over harvested, but sold and commodified, and mm-hmm. and think of like peyote, and I think of you know, and it's 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 harmful to. Well, course to to commodify these sacred medicines but also to you know you don't know yes you don't know what to you don't get it if you don't you know have those those teachings that's also well watch out yeah but and those words are really harmful like you said um i believe it's in a city in canada Uh, i can't remember the name of it francis or st francis or something or other it's anyway it's just yeah yeah and I recall walking by the water and seeing a street name, and, and forgive me if I got the name wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct. It, it was called Colonization Street. And so I think I took a picture with underneath, and I was like, look, I'm colonizing this. You know, and it's, I mean, imagine how our native youth see that and see colonization. That's a good thing. I'm, hey, listen, meet me by Colonization Street next to the Broken Treaty. Uh, right next over there to, uh, you know, genocide. Can you yeah, imagine? Some residential schools. Yeah, and, yeah. and so the, the, that's, it becomes normalized to see these things. And then the, the, it imprints and there's there's a, a subliminal messaging coming inside that, that we celebrate colonization. We're going to colonize the, uh, you know, Mars. We're going to create a colony there. We're going to do these things because we're explorers and we're discoverers and we're pioneers. We're going to circle the wagons against these Indians. Now, all of these things, these words are really important. You know, we, our youth are consuming all of those words and thinking that it's okay. And, you know, it's being taught in the classroom. In the States, they changed that the, one of the states changed it from slavery to the, what was it, the Atlantic trade route or something or other? It's the colonist slavery. So, you know, basically saying that, you know, African people are a commodity, right? You know, so. Um, it, it's the English, you know, the way the, the English language is used to change 
the conversation is it's uh it's really harmful for our young people they're not they're, they're consuming it and then when they get older and you ask them so, do you know what you're saying they're like what i'm not saying anything wrong that's what i learned like that's yeah. just the way it is i'm going to colonization street uh, i'm going to go to the uh you know the to the genocide cafe you know what's wrong with that so you know these are things that are really important that, that we got to start to think about these conversations not in a you know liberal or conservative way, but in a way that really identifies what we're doing here. I mean, imagine you know when somebody sees, for example, they see these bees and they're like, "Hey, like bees or whatever." And I, you know, I don't usually say anything. Oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's no different than if I was to say that, "Hey, I like your powdered wig and your knickers." You know, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like. It's my traditional gear. It's what I wear. If you're wearing, how come nobody says, "Hey, I like the cross you're wearing. That's a nice cross, the chain and the little cross." Right. People just it's like walk you by flip it, and you're. And it just seems ridiculous, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you mean a cross? I mean, everybody wears crosses. Who cares? Yeah. You, yours is special because yours from, you know, some antiquated people that you know we're all in museums. So these, the, the language, the way people respond to us. It's based on this colonial mindset that we are not existent, that we're in museums with loincloths and a club and, you know, bow and arrow and, uh, and it's these words, yeah, and colonization, right? We all have like smoking Indians with a big pipe on a cigarette box. Well, that's our next These are. Gonna smoke the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the words are important because those words go into the map to say yeah. colonization yeah. street. You know, these yeah. are there's Saint Francis. Yeah. I mean, so it's a it's an important conversation that I hope it continues, you know? Yes, yeah, to be you know, to to think about those words and think about what they mean. Like North America. What? <laughs> what? What is that's weird? Uh we're all Italians. We're all Italians, right? America was Gucci, right? It's like, right? Oh, yeah. He, why did he get to name it? You know, it's like, how come he gets to name it? We were here way before he showed up. Way before. So what the heck, you know? And, you know, Asian people would say, well, you guys come from us. I'm like, everyone has, so everybody wants to own something, you know? Yeah. So so we yeah. just have to keep doing the, the hard work we're doing here to break apart these systems that create, relegate our people to the past or that determine a blood quantum, you know, uh, is the way to do it. It's a quantitative method. Yeah. It's not, it can't be, you know, the way that Indians do it because, you know, they do it based on who the community says is Indian, who isn't. And They're relationality, Indian. right? And relationships. Yeah, yeah relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking about uh, North America and Turtle Island as many indigenous people uh, refer to North America. Uh, and many years ago, uh, Casey Eagle speaker from Ghana Nation, uh, elder here that uh, I've been privileged to be able to hear many tellings and, and knowledge from and help me with my PhD for many years. I wish I could have put his name on my dissertation, but I wasn't allowed to do that. Um, but I remember we were uh, with a school one day and, and talking about Turtle Island and how it's shaped like a turtle. And, and he asked, he asked the kids, why, why do you think, how do you think uh, people knew? 
that it was shaped like a turtle thousands of years ago without telescopes or without satellites. And I remember just looking at the kids' faces, like, <laughs> just did, like, just could not wrap their head around the idea of people knowing that not just, you know, that this area was in the shape of a turtle, but those like deep connections with with the moon, with you know what the turtle means on the turtle island, and and the you know the twenty eight days represented around uh, the outside of the turtle and the thirteen moons on the inside, and how how you know that is that is our calendar. No, it's not. It's not static. It's based on you know this, the cycles of the the moons and the sun as connected to Turtle Island, which. So I always thought that was interesting to think about or have, you know, again, be a little bit critical about how we think about names, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and mathematicians would say that it's all patterns, right? Looking for, you know, a, a machine to run numbers through to come up with a coherent uh, analysis and determine, you know, how to use that in a way that's going to benefit whatever to create a widget. You know, yeah, science and engineering are important, right? We have, you know, prosthesis. We have all kinds of beautiful, great things. And mathematicians help with that. And it's wonderful. And there's another component that's missing, which is the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, when we, people can say that, oh, I'm objective because I'm a mathematician. Well, first of all, whose math are you using? Is that really objective? It's predominantly European. Mm -hmm. Okay, so but I'm objective. I'm using those things and it's just numbers. So like, well, you think you're being objective. You still are human. You still feel things. And you go with intuition like, that doesn't seem right. Let me try this. That intuition is a feeling. So when mathematicians say, I have no feelings. I'm a machine. I just run things. It's like, no, you have feelings because that, that energy, that intuition that's popping into your, your blood pressure goes up, your cortisol goes up, adrenaline, neonephrine, oxytocin, you know, uh, dopamine will guide those, that chemistry guides you to like, oh, let me change you from this to this and see what happens. Let me try. And other people would say, well, that's the iterative method. You know, you just try things over and over until you get, no, there, there are feelings. We are all feeling something, cold, warm, hot, hungry. It's, I don't know why people say they're objective because I've never met anybody that's objective in my life ever. Yeah. So if you're out there, I'd love to introduce myself. But um, I, I've never met one. Uh, so that's interesting. I um, I use I always hate talking about, it, but I use spirit as a method for my research. But it really taught me that those moments of intuition or deja vu or aha moments, like I learned to just dwell in those moments. Like what is happening? What is being told to me by my body? By what's around me by my surroundings by you know the ancestors that are with us and you know when you i say when you think about when those things happen those moments happen to to take a moment to think about that because those are teachings yeah, mm -hmm. and they're not can't quantify those you can't you know if i was to ask you and forgive me for being a little bit uh, provocative here but just to prove that point is mm -hmm. Um, every, so I have two, two daughters, uh, and I remember that I can recall, I taught them, you know, various things, but, um, but I never taught them what creepy was. 
I never said, oh, this is the word creepy and this person's creepy. Mm-hmm. But, but I can pretty confidently say that most, uh, you know, people can say they know what creepy is. Mm-hmm. Like that person's creepy. Well, wait, did they, did they show you that? They, I mean, how did you learn who's creepy and who isn't? Mm-hmm. It's all energy. It's like, oh, there's just something off about that person. Or, you know, I don't know, it's the way they were looking or so. It's, it's that sense, you know, it's that sensing, it's that sensing, you know, bouncing, it's like sonar, you bounce it off of something, it comes back. It's for polarity, it either attracts or moves away, you know, and all of these things are really important for us when it comes to all things. And that's how we learned about Turtle Island, because we looked at patterns and we asked for guidance. We asked this great spirit that surrounds us, the creator, all, all these words that you use. Um to understand our place in the universe, not just Mother Earth. What is our place in the universe? And we ask those questions. And, you know, many of our people believe we've traveled to our grandmother to ask permission to see her at night. And, you know, now Europeans in, you know, the state, in the States, they went to the moon. That's our grandmother. And so now our grandmother is pulling away from Mother Earth. And eventually, billions of years from now, we're not going to be able to see the moon anymore because why? You sent the ship up there without asking permission. And what did these people do? They played golf and planted a flag. I mean, imagine me going to your grandmother's home and saying, hey, listen, just let's move everything away and let me put some golf here. I'm going to put a flag that I was here and, uh, you know, not ask permission and just put it like I own it. That's not the way we do things. That's not the way relationality works. They didn't bring a pie to gift grandmother, did they? Why did they gift? Where's the reciprocity? They just took, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, now we have now we have cities that have national parks on the moon, on our grandmother. And said, so this is our space. This is a museum where our bu- you know, buggies or whatever, uh, this is where we planted a flag. And we own this now. Now we're starting to own mother, our grandmother. People are collecting re- uh, regolith and bringing it down so we can build homes and stuff out of this incredible energy, right? It's like me going to your grandmother and cutting her hair off and saying, oh, I like how silvery and pretty this is. Let me cut it and use it to, uh, you know, uh, make something for myself. Mm-hmm. It's These are the insults that we're doing when we don't understand our place in the universe. So we don't look at Turtle Island and our place in the galaxy of galaxies, galaxies of the universe. We have created a, a system where we can appropriate and create homes and put a white picket fence and keep people out and keep some people in and determine and just you know offer all of these these things that are causing us to continually divide into words that nowadays people say liberals conservatives you know constitutionalists on and on and on when the reality is we just we were never meant to live like that we just were not so these maps are built intentionally for ownership. I own this and this is where I live. And also I want to go pioneer and explore and look at the, you know, these great forests and be on a vision quest to be found. And, you know, I'm uh, this struggling, you know, lawyer that, uh, forgive me for the lawyers, you know, struggling person, professional who, you know, needs to find himself. So I'm going to go to the woods and find myself in the woods. You know what? That, that's the kind of stuff that that it doesn't, it's not the way. It's the spiritual connection you have as a person with the elements that are already there. Mm-hmm. And then how do you find yourself 
Yeah, how do you show respect? So these are conversations that are really important to many of our peoples, and um, I hope that it continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's that loss of the teaching of you know that talking about relationality, but the the circle, like we're all equal within the circle. You know, not just humans, but trees and rocks and animals and the land. In that moment that we divided everything around us into animate and ina- inanimate, it allowed for that that hierarchy that objectivity that I, okay, this is not alive. This doesn't have spirit. I can therefore take and commodify mm-hmm. and own. And it, it created that, that triangle instead of that, that circle. And if you say, you know, that rock isn't an ancestor, that rock can't teach us. You know, we know the amount of teeth rocks are, rocks are billions of years old. They have a lot of teachings they can teach us if we just listen, right? Like you were saying, the vibrations, different rocks and, but if we say that that rock is just a rock, then it's easy to to pick it up. It's easy to break it open. It's easy to develop on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. It's easy to take the, the color that you prefer as a person and take it home with you. And the reality is that rock belongs out there with its ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, studies are done. Geologists have done it where there's DNA inside of those rocks of people that predate us. And... Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have a right to just keep taking. We have to actually give give everything we've taken back. And this isn't about being poor. This isn't about being, you know, highly enlightened. This is just about respecting Mother Earth and finding better ways to live on Mother Earth. I know there's some push for, you know, uh, environmental ecology and on and on and on. And that's it's all wonderful. It's how do you change the mind and the heart of someone wanting to more than anything to own more to consume more to take more i don't know but i do know that as a person from this continent who grew up with these teachings that my role is to express all of those teachings as best as i can while protecting sacred knowledge speaking about you know lands and caretaking for lands maps and all those things it's one area of many that we are finally starting to really push you know into the forefront to say Stop. Let's just relax. Breathe. Take it easy. It's okay. You don't have to own everything. Maybe some of this stuff can just be, you know, given back a little bit. Not to me or to that person, but just offer it back to my earth. You know, let's stop determining who who gets to own and who doesn't. Let's find a way. And that's, you know, people could say that that's, that's not appropriate because we've moved up, you know, past that. But there are ways that we can come together and find solutions. I won't say what I think about that because, you know, I'm here and you're there and that these people are everywhere. But we got to come together and have those conversations and, and bring that healing energy in into our conversations and to Mother Earth. We need to heal from all the trauma we've caused. It's just so much trauma. There's so much hurt. You know, uh, things are happening to our bodies now. You know, icebergs are melting. They're releasing, you know, uh, certain viruses that were there put away by our ancestors, you know. And now because we've melted them with our behavior, they're showing up. So we got to do a lot more than what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like when when do we or how do we give back to all that the Earth is giving us? You know, I always ask that question. I think I first heard that question from Robin Kimmerer. like, when are we going to give back? When is the earth going to thank us 
Hey, humans, for being here. I don't know if that's happening right now or when it when I, could happen, right? Well, you know, for me, it, interestingly enough, it kind of did during COVID when we finally all had to stop. And suddenly there are snowy owls in, in New York City. There are animals coming back that had we hadn't seen in a long time. I got to see birds uh, here and that I hadn't seen ever because we finally were stuck inside because of our own behavior. Yep. And now Mother Earth can heal. She knows what she's a mother. She yep. knows what to do. Yep. But it's we, I will speak for myself. I'm still a bad kid. I still have a vehicle. And I have two vehicles. And because, you know, I need to work in certain areas. And, and I do certain things. However, you know, if we all just took some time to pause and, and stop with this sense of, that's not my trash. That's not my land. That's somebody else's land. That's the federal government's job. They should be cleaning that up. No. If we all, you know, these people driving in their Audis and BMWs and stuff, and they're hauling, you know, miles on windy roads and pretty places in the sea trash, slow down, pick it up. Pick it up, put it in, you know, a bag. And then when you get to the next trash can, put it away. Mm-hmm. If you see a dead animal, call, you know, somebody natural resources. Or if you see a small little bird, bury that poor little bird. It has a spirit. I was in Boston uh, visiting a colleague and all these birds, these small little finches and, and you know, um, chickadees, just on the ground dead because they would run into the windows of these big buildings that have these huge windows. And I was like, why are so many dead little birds? And everywhere I went, I would pick one up and with my colleague and I bury him. He's like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we got to bury this, this, this beautiful creature because it has a spirit and it needs to go back to Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And I would see people walk by these birds and almost like I'm seeing a mouse. They're like, oh, <laughs> and just walk away from it. And I'm like, this little bird can fly. It used to be able to fly. You can't even give it a proper ceremony. You can't even just like put it into a burial, you know? So this is our behavior and our sense of, you know, uh, entitlement that we can be here and do what we need to or want to so it's like we've lost that sense of responsibility almost right responsibility of caretaking being, caretaking of yes lands. yeah we're yeah. to caretake always no graffiti no trash recycle the best you can mm-hmm. you know drive you know in, in, a, in the best way you can those are once some things we can do but the other part is Connect to your spirituality. I don't care what ethnicity you are. You come from a spiritual backing. Go to your homelands, wherever that is, Scandinavia, Latin America, wherever. Just go home. Go home and learn from your ancestors. And then come back better healed and know who you are. It's like, well, I'm Heinz 57. That makes with German, Irish, da, 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 da. It's like, it doesn't matter. Find out about your people. I guarantee you, I, I maybe that's too strong of a word, but I will guarantee it that there is some sacred knowledge in your background, in your ways of being that you yourself don't even quite understand. And when you learn it and when you express it, you are going to be so healed because you're going to bring your ancestors forward. Your ancestors knew a lot of stuff. Just go back and find out and bring it to us. I would love to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, something that uh, I always get asked: uh, What can I do for reconciliation? You know, by a lot of non-indigenous people. And like you, learn about you. That's something that you know elders have taught me. It's like 
And I was asking, you know, as I'm on this journey to to reconnect with with my ancestors, it's it's the same. Please go connect with who you are, with the lands that you're from, with your ancestors, and and then that's you know, again, I think that will help with you know that appropriation of a lot of other you know knowledges and cultures and you know, I know who you are. Yeah, I agree. You know, when we travel as Indigenous people to other places. We honor and respect our places. We don't go to the Vatican and, you know, uh, pee in the, in the woods, right, or wherever. We actually know that that's a sacred place to the European people of that area. So we expect the same when you live here. If I was to move to, you know, wherever, Scandinavia, I'm going to follow the traditions of the elders because they were there way before I showed up. Mm-hmm. So why? what gives me the right to come in and say, I'm going to do it my way because I want to, because I can. No. That's not the way it works. So the people that are here in this continent, they got to learn about themselves, but also learn about our place in the universe as a, as a term, this island. And that comes from a telling, as you know, that, you know, with muskrat and turtle and how, you know, all of those are teachings for another day. But these are, this comes from a telling and our observation of Mother Earth and her behavior. She teaches us every second so I know that we're running out of time, but what I challenge everyone to do is to take a second and whether you're a, a fan or not, or this is just trivial nonsense, it's okay. I just want you to try this just to go uh, you know, outside and take your shoes off and put your feet on grass and just close your eyes. If you can see, if you can't see, you can't hear, use a sense, touch something or do something to connect to what you feel and that energy is going to come into your soul and it's going to remind you that ancestors are here speaking to us all the time you just got to sit or feel or sense in whatever way you can and you are going to feel that what we feel which is that spiritual high you know of elevating beyond this this place we elevate to place we visit the cosmos and then we come back that's what the dream world is all about when you know with rem right we're literally comatose we're like stiff we're traveling yeah. during our yeah. that's what, that's the map we go to the stars yeah that's another podcast stay tuned <laughs> <laughs> i think on that note thank you so much for always teaching me something and just being an amazing human oh <laughs> it is true embrace it because it's true I appreciate all of your support and stay tuned for the next episode, everyone. So thank you so much, Juan Carlos. It is my pleasure. Thank you. And until next time, hi, hi. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. We really appreciate it. Also, we love questions and you can ask them on patreon.com. Just search Ancestral Science. All of the fees from Patreon and merch all go towards Elder Honorary and keeping this podcast going. Thanks again to Emil Starlight from Sutena for his epic editing skills. Until next time, remember to take a moment to listen to the wisdom and the science of the land, animals, and star ancestors. We never say goodbye, so we'll see you again. Hi, hi. <laughs>